The story of Moses is filled with many twists and turns, highs and lows. But one thing that is always evident throughout the story is God's hand. The hope for this series is that you will see no matter who you are, where you come from, or what you have done, God still has a purpose and plan for your life and will use you if you let him. So let's get into Moses. The story of Moses is filled with many twists and turns, highs and lows. But one thing that is always evident throughout the story is God's hand. The hope for this series is that you will see no matter who you are, where you came from, or what you have done, God still has a purpose and plan for your life and will use you if you let him. So let's get into Moses. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Would you put your hands together? Help me welcome all of our first time guests, both online as well as right here in the room. So glad to be worshiping with you guys today and back into our Moses series. Uh, today's part four, and the good news, if you've been traveling or you're a guest and you've missed any part of this, uh, it's all online or on our app. If you recall last week, we took a little break from Moses because we had a guest speaker who was here for the conference that we were hosting. Uh, but we're back with Moses, and I'm excited about it. Moses is with us. You guys good with that? Yeah, you know, I had a funny thought as I preached the first service, and I keep repeating. You know, Moses gets to watch us talk about him, but he can't do a single thing about what I say. Like, that's it. It's too bad, man. If I, but I'm only talking about what he put in the Bible, so after all, he should be good with it, right? Well, hey, here's where we are, part four. Uh, I would hope by now uh, that you are really connected with Moses, and you're saying, man, this guy gives me hope, like... I connect with him, I relate to him, and he's made as many mistakes as I have. Anybody, like, that's kind of where you are. He's frustrated, confused, disillusioned, regretful, uh, let's see, hopeless. I mean, all of those. And the good news is, though, even by just the third episode, again, we're looking at six episodes in his life, by the third one in part three, we saw he had finally surrendered. He said, God, I'll do whatever you ask, because he, he finally figured out it wasn't about him. And if you've been here for the series, you've heard me use a phrase over and over. Moses had to learn. Moses had to learn. We need to learn. Moses had to learn. Have y'all heard me using that kind of language? So what happens right after you have to learn something? Everybody tell me, what comes next? A test. Who's excited to talk about tests today? Come on. Anybody here like tests in school? Who like, who like tests? Anybody? We got, yep, yep, there we go. There's always two. There's more. There were three hands, I think, in this one. Usually there's only two weird people in the room. For the record, I like tests as well, so I'm right there with you. Uh, the reason I actually like tests in school is because I'm competitive. Only a little competitive, though. And there are some staff members that would like to say I'm a lot competitive, but they don't have the microphone, so they don't get an opinion. But anyway, so I am competitive, and I, I like to win. And for me, test, that was just comes down to that. Just I get to win. That's what this is. It's a game, right? I, I remember all the way back to like some of the earliest tests you would ever take. They're like spelling tests, right? Elementary school, on Monday, you get 20 words. On Friday, you've got to give 20 words back. And I, I, I'm sorry, I just don't understand how you can't like make 100 on that every time because they tell you the 20 questions on Monday they're gonna ask you on Friday. Like, you know, you can just stare at them all week long. For me, it was just a game. Like, I can do this. You give me the 20 questions on Monday, I'll give them back to you on Friday. And as you get older, it was just a matter of playing the game. You just figure out, what does this teacher like to ask? How do they think? You know, it's, it's a game, just figuring out their psychology or something. And you, you figure out those teachers who go, now, pay attention and write this down. I got it. That's on the test, right? That's, that's what that meant. And, and so I'm going to have this. For me, everything was a game. 
For some of you, though, it was not a game. It was a traumatic experience, right? Remember that algebra test on Friday? You're like, ah, you don't have a clue what's going on, right? How many of you, you actually didn't mind the learning part of school. You just hated the testing part. Like it made your hands sweat and made you want to throw up and all that sort of stuff. Now, here's the thing. Some of you have yet to raise your hand. And that means that you are in the third group of people. You just hated school altogether because you don't want to do anything on anybody else's terms but your own, right? Come on, y'all with me right there? Last service, I had an entire family all raise their hands together saying they don't like, like woo, boy, that's got to be rough in your house only doing things on your own terms. But anyway, back to the point. The real point, of course, is how are you doing at the test of life? How are you doing when you find yourself in a situation where you feel like shouting, God, I didn't sign up for this. We've all been there and done that. Well, what we're going to look at today in an episode of Moses' life is we're going to look at a test he faced and actually a couple of tests that the people of God, as he was leading them, tests that they faced. And, and I believe the responses that they had are going to help us. They're going to help us either know how to pass or what to do if we don't pass as well as we'd like to do so. And so uh, if you want to follow along today, you can go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 20. And you're going to want to put a little finger there and go ahead and turn to Exodus 32. Because let me just go ahead and tell you up front, uh, the episode that we're going to kind of look at today consumes about 12 chapters or more of the Bible. And so I'm not going to read them all to you. Somebody say, thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy. So what I'm actually going to do is kind of tell you the story as we go, and I'm only going to highlight certain passages. So it's going to be real easy to follow on the screen, but for those of you that like to follow along in your own Bible, which I think is great, um, you're going to do a little bit of jumping around today. Be prepared for that, okay? All right, so while you're turning to Exodus 20 and Exodus 32, let me remind you where we left off in the story. Part three, Moses had just had the burning bush encounter and had finally surrendered to God and said, okay, I will go back to Egypt and I will represent you. I'll tell Pharaoh to let your people go. And so he did. God had revealed himself, given himself a name. And he goes up to Pharaoh and says, hey, Yahweh, the God of the slave people says to let his people go. And if you recall, Moses, uh, Pharaoh's response was like, I don't know Yahweh and I don't care what he thinks and I am not about to let you guys go. And so since that part, that episode, here's what has happened. God had to show up in power and prove that he was El Shaddai, God Almighty, that he was the creator of the heavens and the earth and he was the most powerful. Maybe you've heard some of the story of the 10 plagues that God brought upon the Egyptian people because Pharaoh kept saying, no, no, no. And God said, okay, I'll show you more power. Until he got to the 10th plague and Pharaoh said, this is too much. I can't do this. I can't handle this. You people just need to leave. And so he lets all of God's people go. And as soon as he did, he had a moment where he says, oh no, what have I done? I've lost all of my free labor force. I'm going to chase them down. And so God parts the Red Sea for his people. He does two miracles. One, he parts the sea and it stands up. The water stops. But then he also has them cross on dry ground. Water stands up, but the ground becomes dry. Two miracles at the same time. And after they cross, Pharaoh leads his entire army after them. And, and he thinks, well, they did it, I can do it. Except what he missed out on was after he said, I don't know who this Yahweh is and I don't care, I ain't gonna listen to him. He gets in the middle of the water and Yahweh shows his power and consumes the greatest army upon the earth. And so at this point, Moses has led the people of God all the way back to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, where Moses has had the burning bush encounter. And we learned in part three, if you were here, God said, Moses, I'm going to give you a sign. I'll be with you. You're going to go. You're going to get my people. And you're going to come back to this mountain. And when you get back to this mountain, you'll know that I am with you. 
And the truth is, we're about to see that transform Moses' life. Because he is coming back to this spot where God gave him the initial, I want you to go do this. Moses is like, I don't know how that's going to go. Now he's back. And we're going to see Moses respond very differently from this point forward in his life. But for the people of God, well, their tests are just beginning. And so the good news, though, is anytime God brings a test into your life, he always prepares you for it. Our God does not do surprise tests where you have no clue what's going to happen. And so God, before he gives them a test, he's actually going to take them through a powerful encounter. They're going to have an experience with God. And he's going to give them a cheat sheet for the test of life. It should be a very easy thing. So what happens at this point? They are before the mountain where Moses saw the burning bush and God has an encounter with the people. He puts the whole mountain on fire. Moses got a little bush. The people of God get the whole mountain. It's consumed in fire, smoke, thunder, lightning, and a trumpet blast from nowhere. And that's only because the amazing concert grand piano has yet to be invented, has to use a trumpet. But anyway, back to the point. And so God begins to speak to them out of this fiery mountain and out of the smoke and the thunder that's happening and Moses would talk back to God and then God would speak to the people and the trumpet would get louder and louder and the ground is shaking and the the mountain is trembling and God speaks to his people he doesn't show himself no form they can't see God but they can hear God that's very very important it's part of the cheat sheet what does God say to the people how to honor him you and I, we know it as the Ten Commandments. It's where God started saying, hey, here's, here's what's going to If I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people, we're going to start with my nature. And here are ten things. Ten things I want you to do to honor me. And we're going to begin there. If we can get these ten things and you can see that I am God, I am the greatest, the mightiest, the one who created the heavens and the earth, and you are my people, and I'm going to bless you. If, you. if we can get this, then we're ready for what comes next. We're going to just start right there. And he speaks out of the mountain the Ten Commandments. How did the people respond to this amazing encounter? Well, again, Exodus 20, we're going to start in verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Think about that for a minute. The mountain is trembling the trumpet sound is getting louder and loudest. Moses is talking to God, thunder, lightning. One of the most incredible and awesome experiences that humans upon the earth have ever witnessed. Can you agree to that? Has to be. And what is their response? The real question is, what do you think their response should have been? What do you hope that your response would have been in that moment? Again, we never know what we'll actually do in a situation, but I would like to think that I would have fallen on my knees and said, oh God, you are great and mighty. I mean, at that sight. But what did they do? They said, oh my, and ran the other way. Moses, you stay between us and whatever that is. We don't want to be close to that. Think about that. I need to preach a whole other message on the results of telling God you don't want to be close. Then Moses turned to them and said, let me explain what's happening. Moses said to the people, do not fear. Relax, don't fear, for God has come to test you. That the fear of him, and what he means by that is that the reverence of him, the awe, the recognition, he's great, he's mighty, he's powerful, he cares for you. He's come to test you that all of that may be before you. Why? So that you won't fail the test. So that you won't sin. God's having an encounter with you. 
He's given you the answers and he's given you the motivation. God wants you to know who he is and his care for you so that you may not sin. There's an important thing we need to know before I go any further today about tests from God. Tests from God are never for him to learn anything. Did y'all know that? Has anybody ever told you that before? When God gives you a test in life, it is never for God to learn anything. God knows you. God knows the future. God is not out to learn anything. The tests are simply for you to have something inside of you revealed so you can go, oh my, right? Look, if you've been around Grace Life, you know that I used to teach school. I told you I taught for 11 years and I was a band director. Okay, here's the thing. In, in band class, I hated giving tests. I had no reason to give tests. Giving a test was like a waste of time for me. It was good for my students, but I didn't need it. Math teachers, on the other hand, they needed to give one. So I had friends that would give tests because they taught math. And here's the deal. When you have students in math class, they sit there, they smile, they take notes, and they write things like A squared plus B squared equals I have no idea. Right? And so a math teacher has to give a test to find out if the student understands anything. Mine was very, very different. I could stand up and say, okay, one, two, ready, go. And when you're a clarinet, sounds like a goose that somebody shot. I don't need to give you a test. I just, I can tell you have no clue what's going on. And when your saxophone sounds like a car horn from the 1920s, I don't need to give you a test. I, I know you have no clue what's going on. So tests in my class were never for me. I already knew exactly who could play and who couldn't. It was very, very obvious every time I said, ready, go. But the tests were for them. Because when the whole band is playing, it was so easy to hide and just kind of like, you know, and kind of get it. But when you had to suddenly play by yourself in front of everybody else, oh, the revelations that came out. It was embarrassing. Exactly. So the test is never for God to learn anything. The test is for you and me. And so now they've had an encounter with God. Now they've been given the cheat sheet. They've been told all the correct answers and let the test begin. So... Moses is called up to the top of the mountain by God. God says, here's the deal, Moses, I want you to come up, spend a little time with me, leave the people. I'm getting ready to do something with them. And you're gonna come up here. The 10 things that I just spoke to the people, I'm gonna write on stone and give it to you. So Moses goes up the mountain and here is where the test begins. Flip over to Exodus 32 for those of you trying to keep up. Verse one says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, he was gone 40 days and 40 nights. Well, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, Moses' brother, and said to him, get up, man, make us gods. Just let that settle for a minute. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we, we don't know what has become of him. And so Aaron said, give me all your gold jewelry. Jump to verse four. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The first type of test that we will face is the faith test. Now, we're not doing this in order, so there, I'm gonna show you three different tests. They're gonna come in different ways and different orders in your life, but the first test that we see, one of the types that we'll take is the faith test. And the faith test is simply about trusting God in times of uncertainty. It is about trusting God when you don't know what to do. It is about trusting God when you don't have an answer. It is about trusting God to do what you can't see a way out of. It is about trusting God to do what only God can do because it's impossible in your eyes. You see, the faith test is about trusting God in times of uncertainty. Remember we read, 
when the people saw that Moses delayed and we do not know what has become of him? Well, here's the reality. He was gone 40 days and 40 nights. That is just shy of six weeks. And they don't, they don't have a clue. I mean, Moses is not exactly a trained Sherpa. I mean, he was a sheep. For all we know, he walked right off the edge of a cliff, didn't know what he was doing. After all, the mountain is consumed in smoke and fire. Maybe he said something smart alecky to God, and God turned him into a piece of barbecue for all we know. We don't know what's become of this man, and we have no relationship with God because we told God we want to stay far from you, and we just want Moses in between us, and we can't find him anymore. And you can maybe begin to sympathize with them. Six weeks of just sitting and staring at a mountain, wondering what comes next. And so they decided they had to do something on their own. But don't miss this. This is where the cheat sheet came in. And they totally acted like they had never been given one. They had seen God deliver them from Egypt. Totally on his own, right? Y'all follow that? They did not put out applications. Oh, we would like a deliverer who's, who's, who wants to apply for the job. No, no, they didn't do that. God called Moses. God sent Moses. God rescued them through his power. God showed them 10 plagues being demonstrated in ways that miraculous. God took them across the Red Sea. In the rearview mirror, they could see the greatest army upon the earth being swallowed by the Red Sea as they kept going. They just saw a mountain tremble and shake and be consumed in fire and smoke. And they heard a voice from heaven. And their thought, given all of this cheat sheet, was, Whoop, we'll make our own God. We don't know what has happened to that one. Are you kidding me? Like in light of that power, in light of that awesome scene, the very least is to, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait. I don't know what to do, but he has taken care of every single thing so far. He has proven himself. He has proven his power. He has proven his love for us by delivering us. He's proven everything. They had the cheat sheet. But you know what? Since they weren't sure about God anymore, they chose to make a God they could be sure of. Y'all catch that? So they made one, a cow made out of gold. They replaced God. Did you catch that? They replaced God with their own idea of God. And that's an important lesson for us to see because replacing God is the typical response when failing a faith test. Yeah, that was worthy of a, think about that. Replacing God is the typical response when failing a faith test. And many of you would say, well, I, I've never replaced God. Jimmy, I, I didn't make a golden statue and bow down to it in my living room. The truth is every single one of us has replaced God at some point. Maybe for you, you replaced God when you simply got tired of waiting so you came up with your own idea. Maybe you replaced God when you didn't like his standard of what is right and wrong and you started doing what you thought you would enjoy. Maybe you replaced God when you said, who cares what he thinks? I'm more concerned about what my friends think of me, so I'm going to, to do what they want because I need their approval over God's. Truth is, every single one of us at some point has replaced God. And so we've all had uncertain times. And in those uncertain times when we're waiting and we're wondering and we're, we're wanting and we don't know what to do and we pray and it seems like God is just not there and God doesn't speak and we don't know where he's gone or what he's doing, we start thinking, well, I guess God's gonna do nothing. I'm gonna have to figure it out. I'm gonna have to use my strength. I'm gonna come up with my plan. I'm gonna do what I think is best or what everyone else is doing. Do you know the truth that we see about uncertainty? The truth about uncertain times in our life, all it is doing is making us realize we have absolutely no control of the outcome. We have absolutely no control of the timeline. And this is simply letting us realize all we can do is trust the one who does. And so the faith test simply reveals 
if we are certain about God when we are not certain about anything else. Did y'all get that? The faith test reveals if we are certain about God when we are not certain about anything else. They should have been very certain about God. They had seen his might and power demonstrated upon the earth on their behalf in ways like humanity had never heard of. And yet, they, choose, they chose to live out of the uncertainty and they failed the faith test. The next type of test that we see them encounter, the next type that we may also encounter is called the obedience test. So here's the reality. God had been very clear. There were no questions about what God expected or what God wanted from them or how to respond. God had been incredibly clear. One of the 10 statements that he gave to them was, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. It was as obvious as could be. You shall not make anything a carved image of any likeness that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath. And let me tell you why this is such a big deal. Because God then explained to them, you have seen for yourselves that I talked with you from heaven. You see, that's why that encounter was so important that they heard God, but they didn't see him. Because when God revealed himself to Moses, who are you? God said, I am. <laughs> that's enough. I am. In other words, it comes from heaven to earth, not the other direction. God is the creator. God creates everything that is on the earth and in the heavens. And God says, you are not going to take something I made and try to make it a representation of me. We don't go from earth to heaven. You see, everybody else on the earth, all the other peoples had come up with their ideas of God. They had made their own gods, their own definitions, their own images, their own ideas. But our God, the God of the Bible, is the only God in all of history who ever turned the directions and said, no, 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 I'll tell you who I am. I'll tell you what I'm like. I am going to define me because I exist. You know why our God, the God of the Bible, is the only God to ever define himself for humanity instead of the other way around? It's because our God is the only one that's real and alive. You see, that's the proof right there because everybody else has to make up their own idea, their own image, and try to take earth to heaven. Ours starts in heaven and comes to earth. And so when they made a golden image, not only did they violate one of the 10 things, what they truly did was violate the very nature of God and try to take creation and make it greater than the creator. And he had said, don't you dare. Don't you dare come up with some God of gold and God of silver. I made all that stuff. You can't come up with any image that'll represent me. And that's why he had not revealed himself in an image that day so that they had the cheat sheet. An image in your hands will never represent who I am. So God had made it very, very clear what to do. Why in the world they chose otherwise, I don't know. I mean, it's like when a teacher in school says, hey, everybody, the answer to number two is, mu it's multiple choice, and the answer to number two is C. And you write down A. Why? Why in the world? Then the teacher just told you the answer is C, and you write down A. Why would you do that? The only reason you would do that is when you think the teacher doesn't know what they're talking about and that you can somehow do the exact opposite of what they say and win. That'll say a little something about humanity's relationship with God, doesn't it? So here's what happened. Moses is on top of the mountain with God. The Lord said to Moses, go down for your people. I, I just think we got to stop for a minute. This is funny. If there are any Spouses in the room's got kids. Any parents in the room? You know how you do that moment where you look at your spouse and go, look at what your child did. <laughs> Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Let's get serious again though. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them and they have made for themselves a golden calf. 
and worship. They, they've made an image out of gold and they're worshiping it. And they're actually giving it credit for what I did. They're saying that thing brought them out of Egypt. Really? Where was that cow when they were crossing the Red Sea? Where was that cow when they were slaves? And you know, what? Moses, look at your people. You see, the truth is they knew exactly what God had said. They knew exactly what the answer was. They had the cheat sheet in front of them. Don't miss this. They simply chose to do otherwise. No excuse. No other reason. They chose to do otherwise. And in doing so, they failed the obedience test. See, they had a choice to do what God said or what everybody else was doing. They had a choice to do what God said or what they had always seen and known. They had a choice to do what God said or what they felt was best. Don't miss this. Because you and I face the same choice every day. I would love to believe that many of you in here today believe in God or you're on a journey toward that. I would love to think that many of you would say that I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ is my savior and his blood washed me clean on the cross. I'd love to believe that many of you would say I've had an encounter with God and I know what that feels like. I'd love to believe that many of you would say I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and, and I know what God has put me here to do. I'd love to hear that. And even if every one of you said every one of those statements, it would not change the fact that tomorrow you will face a test. Tomorrow you'll face the test. Will you do what God says or will you do what's familiar and easy? Will you do what God says or will you do what you've always known? Will you do what God says or will you do what everyone around you is doing? You see, here's what's crazy about this whole thing is we have the cheat sheet. There is not one question you can face that you don't have the answer already given to you. There is not one thing that the world could throw at you that you can't say, oh, here's the answer. I found it, it's right here. Here's the answer. Here's what I should do with my money. Here's what I should do with my children. Here's how I should treat my spouse. Here's how I should treat the person who offended me. Here's how I should apologize to the person I offended. Here's how I should drive in traffic. I'm just kidding, but actually, yeah, you should be kind. That's in here, be kind, be gracious. Okay, anyway, back to my point here. We will have a choice every single day. Will we do what God said? Or will we do what is familiar and easy and makes us feel good about ourselves. See, the obedience test will simply reveal if we will do what God says despite what we think or want or feel. The obedience test reveals if we do what God says despite what we think or want or feel. And that brings us to the third type of test that we also will face. This one was not for the people of God. This one was for Moses. And we're going to see the conversation continue on top of the mountain as God tells Moses, they made a cow, I need you to go down. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them, that I may make a great nation of you, Moses. This is the character test. The third type of test we will face is a character test. Have you ever seen one of those movies where the bad guy Tells the good guy, tries to bribe him. Well, I'll give you this or I'll give you that. And, and the good guy's like, well, what are you trying to do, man? I, I can't be bought. And then the famous line from the bad guy is, oh, everybody has their price. I just need to find yours. It's a famous scene. It's been used a lot of times in a lot of different movies. So you see, the reality of the character test, it is simply about revealing your price. The price for your integrity, 
the price for your loyalty, the price to exchange your values, the price for your morality. You see, Moses was being given the opportunity of a lifetime. Let me correct that. Moses was being given the opportunity of human history. Follow this. The Bible is yet to be written. Not one page of it. Moses will write the first five books. So far, the people of God are simply known as the people of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses said, hey, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob wants you to let his people go. Hey, everybody, follow me. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has told me to tell you. So far, Moses has been nothing but a servant. That's all he is, is a servant. At most, the truth is he is a glorified tour guide. Hey, everybody, if you will, follow me this way, right out of Egypt, right past the gates of Egypt. And on the right, you see the Red Sea. In front of us, you see sand, and beyond that, a little bit more sand. That beautiful thing over there is not Disney World. It's a mirage. Don't go for it. It won't get you there. If everybody would, just follow me tightly. We'll make our way where we're headed. Please remain seated until the ride comes to a full and complete stop. That's it. A glorified tour guide. And God comes to him and says, I will wipe them out and make a great nation of you. And you will get to start on page one that says... The God of Moses. Forget Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No more will you be a tour guide. You will be the father of my people for all of history. I don't know about you, but wouldn't that have been a tempting offer? Yeah, you better bet. Even sounded like it was God's idea, but it was actually a test. And you may say, wait a minute. How can we know, Jimmy, that it was a test? Well, there were warning signs. There were clues like this. This would have made it all about Moses again. And he had failed that test 40 years earlier. This would have made Moses the hero of the story. And he also failed that test 40 years earlier. And this is important. In order for Moses to take God's offer, he would have had to believe inside that he could accomplish what God and Abraham couldn't. Did y'all catch that? What God and Abraham had been doing all the way up until this point would have been an utter failure, and he would have had to say, okay, God, if you put me in charge, I'll get it. I'll get you people for you. I can do it right. You see, here's the truth. Anytime the opportunity in front of you makes you bigger than God, it's a test. And don't misunderstand, God may call you to do great and mighty things. He may give you a platform. People may know your name. You might get to do mighty signs like Moses. You might get a really cool job description. God may bless you, give you cool experiences like he did to Moses. All of that. But never misunderstand. When the opportunity takes you from being a surrendered servant to being the star of the story, you are facing a test. Or you just failed one. The good news This was a test. It was an offer to make Moses' glory greater, and he passed because he was determined to make God's glory greater. I'm going to jump all the way to Deuteronomy 9 because Moses is going to retell the story to the people of God right before his death, and when he does so, he includes some details of what was going on in his heart and a prayer that he prayed. So in chapter 9, verse 25 of Deuteronomy, he says, So I came down from the mountain, so I lay prostrate before the Lord these 40 days and 40 nights. That means he he came and he fell on the ground and he fasted. Didn't eat, didn't drink water, didn't move for 40 days and 40 nights. He said, I did this because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And so I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, 
Do not destroy your people and your heritage whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin, lest, this is important, lest the land from which you brought us say, Yahweh couldn't get the job done. Yahweh, he's weak. Yahweh, he makes promises he can't keep. God, you just revealed yourself. All of Egypt and all the surrounding world is watching the God of this slave people. They want to know who is Yahweh. And if you go and wipe these people out. You see, what Moses actually did, you need to follow this. All of the people who had rebelled against God would all the time be rebelling against Moses. They had already whined and complained many times. They're going to do it many times more against Moses. They're going to blame him for all their problems. And they have sinned against God. And God has said, I'll take them out for you. And Moses, instead of saying, okay, he comes down from the mountain and he lays down between the people and God and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know about you, but when somebody cuts you off in traffic or somebody fires you for doing a good job or somebody does something you don't think you deserve, do you lay down and fast for them 40 days and 40 nights? And Moses, as he lay there to protect the people, this is what he said to God. I'm gonna paraphrase if you'll allow. God, these are your people. I don't need a people. This is your heritage, not mine. You rescued them, I did not. And the world will see you as weak if you do this. So God, I will not increase the glory of my name at the expense of yours. Do not wipe out this people and give me a people after my name. And with that, Moses passed the character test. You see, the character test, of course, will reveal what's in your heart, but I'd like to word it differently given the illustration that I used. The character test reveals your price for trading God's glory for your own. The character test reveals your price for trading God's glory for your own. What does this mean to you and me today? Well, I think it's probably obvious, and that is that there are tests in life, and we're gonna face some. The reality is you're gonna face potentially a faith test, an obedience test, or a character test this afternoon and maybe tomorrow and multiple times as life goes on. And what I want us to do is to be able to be prepared for them and to, to pass those tests. Because the problem is sometimes we, we don't think they matter. I want you to, to know the truth. All tests matter. All tests are real and the results matter. All tests are real and the results matter. I have a child right now who is going through a, a smart alecky phase, at least I hope it's a phase, and uh, no matter what I say to him, if I say, what do you want for lunch or what is the color of the sky, I get the same answer. School is dumb. <laughs> what do you want for Christmas? School is dumb. And if I respond, which I typically do with, I don't care, go study. He'll say, test or dumb. School is dumb, test or dumb. Here's what you need to know. That attitude will not get you anywhere. It's not gonna help you at all, not in school and not in the test of life because all tests are real and the results matter. The truth is there are some things that will come into our lives by passing tests and there are some things we are missing out on because we have not passed tests. So I want to close with giving you these three areas of things in your life. I think everything will probably fit into one of these three types of things that we either are gaining or missing out on depending upon how we see the test of life. The first one is promotion. 
Promotion is about honor and influence. And it's actually God's plan for his people to have honor and influence. Moses explained it this way. He said, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, well, then the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. It is God's plan for his people to be esteemed and to have honor and to have influence. But you see, the point to all of that is so that they can point it back to God. You see, the honor that we have is actually the more we receive honor, is the more that we have shown honor to God is the more honor that we're going to receive. And the more that we receive influence and use it to bring glory to God's name, then the more influence that we're going to be given. Let me give you an illustration. It works like this. Imagine that a boss at work it has like 10 employees in their department. And so one of the employees comes to the boss and says, I just want you to know I'm, I'm going to be going through something. It's, it's a little bit of a tough time. And they just want to make sure they don't get in trouble or fired. But the boss says, That'll be, that's okay. I'll tell you what, my spouse and I, we will take care of your family. We'll, we'll provide a couple of meals for you while you're going through this, and we'll be praying for you. And they think, what? In the corporate world, you care about me? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm a Jesus follower, and I just want to show Jesus to you in the simplest way. And maybe that boss stands up and says, hey, everybody, I'll be doing a devotional half hour before our shift starts. If anybody wants to join me, that's great. And God says, wait a minute, you're going to use your position and your influence over these 10 people to make me famous and to, to take care of them and to represent me to them? I'm, 10 is not enough. I'm going to give you 100. And then you find yourself promoted, greater honor and greater influence. And what we need to understand is that we all have honor. We all have influence. Whether you are a teacher, a principal, a major, colonel, first sergeant, boss, CEO, business owner, or just a cool kid in class. Somebody is always looking to you and wishing they could have what you have. You may wake up and be disgruntled with where you are in life, but somebody else is always looking. That means you always have been given some honor and some influence. And if you are using that for the glory of God, it's going to be increased. But if we see a faith test, an obedience test, and a character test, then chances are God is not going to give us more honor and influence because we're going to use it for ourselves instead of for him. The second thing that we're going to see advanced in our lives is the fulfillment of our calling. You see, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's handiwork, his workmanship. And what that word means is we're not biological results of an assembly line. We're not a bunch of cells that just kind of came together. We are uniquely created by God, every one of us. And it says that that is so that we can do good works. See, here's what happens. At some point in life, we have a bit of a midlife crisis, even if it's not the middle of your life. You reach a point where you wake up and you just, you just feel dissatisfied. You feel like life isn't fulfilling. You feel like something isn't where you should be. You're not doing what you should be doing. And the reason for that is very simple. Because God made you as that unique handiwork for those good works, imprinted inside of you is what it feels like to be fulfilled. It's in there, it's just waiting. It, it automatically connects when you reach that day where you go, oh, it is well with my soul. And what that means is inside of you is the feeling, it is not well with my soul. And the problem is we get upset because we're not where we think we should be and we blame God. Newsflash, it's not God's fault. Chances are we have failed a test. And so it has kept us back from something that God had intended for us. You see examples of this all throughout Scripture. One of the best places you can find it, it's on almost every page of the books of First and Second Kings, because it'll say, you and your sons will sit on my throne forever if 
It's God's intent for their family line to stay on the throne, but they, they can't do it without God. They can't do it by going their own way. See, here's the truth we need to understand. You don't get to walk in God's full intent for your life if you try to do it without God. The full intent that God has for you, you've gotta be following Him. You've gotta be putting your faith in Him. You've gotta obey Him. You've gotta have character that reflects you are a child of God. And the third one is just simply put blessings and rewards. It's God's intent for his people to be blessed. He said this through Moses. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God and the curse if you do not. The curse, I always explain this whenever I use a passage like this. The curse is not talking about witches and brooms and Halloween. You see, a blessing is a positive consequence. A curse is a negative consequence. God is just saying, hey, you've got a choice in front of you. It's my intent to bring lots of blessing and rewards into your life. And the list would be very, very long if we were to stop and talk about it, but it would be words like prosperity and health and wholeness and intimacy and experience with God and spiritual maturity. And there are so many things that we could put on the blessing list. And some of us are not experiencing that because of the tests that have come into our lives. And I always have to throw out a caveat, caveat at this point. God has never promised that when he blesses you, you don't have any trouble. Some people think that blessings mean you have the best and most easy life ever. Jesus told us in this life, you'll have troubles. It's not a promise to avoid those. It is a promise that God will be with you in the midst of those troubles and bless you as you go through them. But that's God's intent for his people. I wanna close with an encouragement that I hope will change your perspective. Because the reality is, earlier I asked you if you like tests and almost every one of you said, no, I do not like tests. And all I've done is talk about tests for 30 minutes. So some of you have just been tormented and you're traumatized at the thought of leaving here and facing another test. So I want to try to shift your mind a little bit as you get ready to go back out into the world because you will face some tests. Here's, here's the reality. Every single one of us has faced one test that we actually look forward to. And it was the last test before you graduated. It didn't matter what the class was. All you knew was on the other side of this test. I don't ever have to see these people again. I don't have to take that class again. On the other side of this test is a diploma or a degree or that new job or that life change or that better opportunity. On the other side of this test is everything that I've been waiting for. And suddenly the test became very small because what was on the other side was very big. Are you guys getting this? And so here's the truth. God does not bring tests into your life to trick you or to try to trip you up. God's not like, let me see if I can just play a joke on Kent today. And there's no pool among the angels, a little betting pool going on. Oh, I, I got 10 on Kent's going to flop up on this one. I got 20, he's going to make it, bro. What are you talking about? I mean, like, that, that's not the way it's played out in heaven. The truth is the only reason that God brings a test into your life is to advance something in your life. Everything is about moving you forward into God's purposes for you. If God gives you a test, it's because the test is small and something bigger is on the other side of it. It is either greater honor or greater influence. God's purpose for you, whatever it is that you've been dreaming of and hoping for, the fulfillment, it's on the other side. And that can hopefully make you wake up and say, hey, you know what? Who cares if I'm gonna face a test today because what is bigger, what is more important is God's plan for me on the other side of this. Everything that I've ever wanted and that God wants for me is waiting.
And I just want to encourage you on one thing, because a lot of you right now are just really discouraged thinking about the test you failed. And I just want to, God almost always gives limitless retest. Because it, it does God's kingdom no good for his children to fail and fall by the wayside. You know, God's plan is for his kingdom to advance through you and me. And what that means is that if we miss something, well, God's going to come back and say, all right, that's okay. Let's redeem. Let's restore. Let's move you forward. I'm going to give you a retest. This is exactly how I ran my classroom. Again, as a band director, things are a little different. You see, in a math classroom, no offense to math teachers, but in a math classroom, the student actually needs to pass. The teacher doesn't. And so if the student fails, that's their problem. But as a band director, I put all my kids on stage in public, and if they sound horrible, all the parents look at me like I'm an idiot. And so it does me no good to give a child an F in my class and move forward. And so I had the craziest grading policy in the world. I gave unlimited retest. If you took a test today on how to play something and you failed, did me no good. You're going to sound like a dying goose on stage. That does me no good. I need you to learn. And I need you to learn tomorrow if you didn't learn today. And I need you to learn the day after that if you didn't learn then. And so I gave retests time and time and time again. And it was so funny because the kids thought they were playing me the dumb teacher. And I'm looking at them going, you are learning. You are doing what I need you to do. You are practicing. And you are getting better. Who's winning this game? God gives almost limitless retests. And every test you face, there is a better future waiting on the other side of what God has planned for you. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. God, today I just lift up anyone who is feeling the guilt and the shame, the whispers of the enemy from the test that they don't feel they did well on. They're thinking of the people they may have disappointed. They're thinking of what is gone or missed. And right now, God, I just pray that you will cover them with your grace, with hope, with your plans of restoration. I pray that you will help them see that it is not too late. It is not too late to step up and take a new test tomorrow. To say, God, I'm ready. God, I'm ready. I'm ready to obey. God, I'm ready to trust. God, I'm ready to be who you've called me to be. God, I just pray your grace upon those people and that you would silence the condemning voice of the enemy in their lives. If you're just in a place of prayer, I'd like to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. Well, here's the cool thing. Unfortunately, all of humanity failed the most important test, and that was perfect holiness. At some point, every single one of us, we either said something, did something, or thought something, and it separated us from God. The Bible calls it sin. So God sent his son to the earth to do the retest for us. And because Jesus lived a perfect life, he got a perfect score. And for anyone who calls upon him as their Lord, they get that perfect score credited to them. It means that they are forgiven for their sins, they have eternal life, and they are made right with God. It's what we call the free gift of salvation, but it is a gift that has to be received. And if you have never exchanged the life you've been living for what Jesus earned on the cross, I wanna help you do that right now, wherever you are. Would you say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, 
I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?